0: Thanks, man. I'm gonna have a beer. Right? <laughs> Whoever speaks
1: first loses. Sell me this pen. Coffee's for closers only. Nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in
2: circles. Show up and do the work.
1: A, B, C. A, always B, B, C. Closing. Always be closing. Welcome to the Cheap Seats. You're listening to the Cheap Seats Podcast. What is up, friends? Welcome back to the Cheap Seats Pod. Another week, another awesome guest that we are super stoked to have on. Who is it this week, Bridget?
0: This week, we have Rachel Ayat, who is the CEO and founder of Bread and Butter, a PR and marketing agency based in Los Angeles, California. Rachel started this business from her apartment floor and has grown it to 20 plus locations throughout the United States. We are so excited for her to tell us all about how she's grown this amazing agency. Okay, well, we have Rachel on the podcast and she is the founder and CEO of Bread and Butter, which is a super awesome marketing agency. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, okay. So we want to hear all the things. Tell us how you got into marketing, how you, um, who is bread and butter and why you founded and are now the CEO of bread and butter marketing.
2: Sure. So bread and butter is my company that I started in um, 2007, which I don't like to say, cause it makes me feel old, but we are a communications company and we focus exclusively on the hospitality industry. So we say, you know, food, drink, chefs, CPGs, okay. say anything you can enjoy on vacation. is kind of oh, what we like to cover. And um, I founded it in, I'm oh, sorry. I so said 2007. So when I started my background is in uh, I grew up working in restaurants and doing um, all the things in terms of front of house back of house it just was it sort of a a fallback job and when I I got my start in New York I went to school at Stanford in California and I kind of traveled around and lived around I lived in the Virgin Islands and was a bartender and just really kind of after my time at Stanford and um, I just really kind of wanted to drop out and so I did that for about six months and Uh, did that, and then I had friends moving to New York, and so I moved there, and I got my start working in fashion. I started working with Betsy Johnson, and I worked at the showroom, um, you know, in the fashion district, and quickly learned that I did not really care as much about fashion as everybody else did, and so I um, had studied, I studied art history is what I majored in, which is generally code for you're going to be a waitress, and so I thought (laughs) maybe I'll try art and so I worked for an art gallery and I ended up with the, the art gallery that was really boring as you would expect. Um, it was it was it focused on art, <clears throat> American art of the 1940s which uh, there was not much going on so it was, it was pretty boring. I was going to say World, I World War Two
1: was right in there.
2: Uh, yeah, but I mean American art was not that exciting. There was like Jackson Pollock a little bit but it was almost like Jackson Pollock the early years. He like hadn't done his full cool stuff yet. so. Um, it was fairly boring and I had to work on Saturdays, which even, you know, coming from, from the restaurants where you worked, you know, six days a week, like working on Saturday, once you got into like kind of the corporate thing was not, was a no-go. So I did not love that. Um, and then I started working for another PR firm, doing PR for art and then set back into fashion. So I was like, this, I don't want to do this. And so I just quit. And, um, my mom was in town and she, we, she was like, I to this really great restaurant called Union Square Cafe, you should go. And so we went and they, I had two glasses of wine and was just having like my unemployed mom lunch. And uh, they were like, oh, we're hiring and we do interviews today. So two glasses of wine, I was loose, ready to, <laughs> ready to chat. Um, no, you know, no, uh, no, no, palm, no, no, no pressure. And I got hired as uh, they had a celebrity shop and I got hired as his assistant.
0: So I started doing that and
2: it was really um,
0: in the restaurant as, as PR or as like a a classic restaurant employee.
2: No, I was, so it was, they didn't have PR. So this was, this is Danny Meyer's union square hospitality group didn't even exist yet. So it was, he had the four restaurants. He had union square cafe, Mercy Tavern, Tabla and 11 Madison park. So they didn't, they did not even have a PR team. And so I, and I didn't even know what PR was. And so I was hired to be his assistant. So at the time it was, but not cooking in the office. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I always said, I'd cry too easily to be a chef, even though i worked in kitchens that I love, I can give it back, you know, pretty well. But I, and I, I did understand, I think having worked in kitchens, I understood how to work with chefs and I understood how kitchens worked. So okay. I could communicate with him and I knew, you know, with him, the team of chefs, but I didn't need to go to them at you know, 3.30 when service was about to start to start asking all these, like, you know, benign questions that they didn't really care about. So, yeah, okay. um, but at the time they were opening their fifth concept, which was Blue Smoke. He was putting out his second cookbook. And so I started working with him, you know, coordinating all the Today Show appearances, coordinating, you know, with their publisher, with all the cookbook appearances. And um, I loved it. And that's when I kind of realized that that was a job where I could work with restaurants, I could work with chefs, I could just talk about them, which is what I love to do. And I could, you know, make that into a job. Um, and from there, I pitched Danny actually on being the publicist for all four chefs. And he said, no, essentially he said, you know, it's taken me 18 years to create this, get this far. And I, without a publicist, so I don't really want to do that. And so he was lovely and it was, it was totally fine. And they've since, you know, they obviously have a PR team in house now, but, um, that was really kind of the impetus for me to move on. And so I went, I worked with a few other restaurant groups in New York and then, um, and my boyfriend broke up with me and I was heartbroken. So I decided it was time for a change. And so I wanted to go back to California, which is where I started working. I worked in, in an agency, which is my first experience there. And then, you know, I did that for a while and kind of bounced around. And then I I started working with a restaurant consultant, you know, doing PR for her. And then he so the you, oh,
0: sorry, so you went from being a, a kitchen or a restaurant owner's assistant mm-hmm. to then working at a PR agency when you moved. That's, that's right. right. Okay yeah, so I
2: learned um, I had been in-house for several restaurant groups. So I worked with Danny Meyer, I worked with Shelly Fireman. I worked with Steve Hansen, who owns be our guest. and so I had worked in-house for these restaurant groups, so I knew I knew what to do. I knew how to you know manage multiple concepts and you know kind of how to build those relationships with media. And so the agency was a totally different side because you weren't really only focused on one brand, you were focused on, Several different, you know, restaurants or chefs or that sort of stuff. So for me, um, I I thrive in, you know, chaos and a lot of a lot of things coming fast and quickly. Else I get bored. So it was a really good fit for me, and I really like the agency, and I still do. Obviously, I really like the agency pace and lifestyle, and it's it's not for everybody. That's for sure. I think that was like PR was like the second most stressful job after like airline pilot or something. So you no, know, I could That's probably true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So, paint the picture from when you went from working at this marketing agency to being like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to start my own business, become an entrepreneur, and create your own agency. How did that happen?
2: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I had been doing it at that point for you know probably ten years, and I, I had just, I noticed that I was, I could build these relationships with these chefs, and a lot of really prickly chefs. You know, people, a lot of people couldn't do or They would cry, and I also had a, just a real passion for this industry. And so I, you know, after working for several agencies and I, I finally kind of was like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just kind of bounced around. And then um, when I was working for this restaurant consultant, she wanted to have this PR division. And then I was heading that for her and she quickly realized that PR is hard. And, you know, she was, it was a lot more lucrative to do restaurant consulting. So she just kind of started feeding me clients. It was like, if you want to do this and then Honestly, the, the the main catalyst was a client that I had brought on to to one of my agencies. We had stayed friends, and they stayed with the agency when I left. And they called me and said, "We're opening this restaurant. Can you do it?" And I said, "Absolutely." And at the time, I was like, "Oh, I I think You're you like, know." Do and I so, even have
1: a business license yet? I don't know. We'll do it. I
2: know it was like, listen, there's so much like fake it till you make it that goes on. Yes. Um, but we, but yeah, I said, sure, absolutely, I can. And then. And I, you know, they are still a client today. So I mean, 16 years later, they have they have stuck with me and they're like family and um, oh Little Doms in Los Angeles, shout out to them, to those guys. Um, Brandon and Warner, you know, were the ones that helped, you know, kick this off the ground and, and you know, they've been loyal and really, you know, the, the main thing when I started was like, I just wanna work with people that I like and have a good time. Yeah. And it's, it's we've grown, I've, I have zero business plan. You I had no idea what I was doing. But it was really just like, that was my main sort of core value. And then, um, you know, we, we had good clients and then more good clients came and we've just kind of grown that way.
1: How cool. Okay, so really, really quick, really, really quick. I'm a big names guy for the business. When did okay. you come up with bread and butter and how'd you come up with it? Okay. Obviously you're food centered, but I want to hear the story.
2: Yeah. Well, so this is always like the worst sort of dad joke ever. But, um, you know, when I started, I had a, a business partner and we, we're thinking, okay, we didn't want to name it after ourselves because I feel like, that doesn't really ever go well. We knew there were two of us. We didn't want to be too, too food-centric because we thought we might expand, and we always said, we said salt and pepper was taken, so I don't know. But um, after that, you know, we were trying to think of, like, two things that are duality in the food market, and you know, then I thought of bread and butter, and I was like, look, it not only, obviously, is the, the obvious, like, you eat bread and butter when you go to a restaurant, but it's really the kind of, you know, the heart of the matter, and um, and it's how, you know, when you talk about your, you know, what, what makes you money, it's your bread and butter. And so it just seemed like the perfect fit. It wasn't taken. And it, that just kind of, we just kind of picked it off from there. I love it. Thank so you.
0: tell us now you've kind of explained how you got to where you are, but explain exactly where you are now. It seems like from the research we've done, you have many locations. It looks like about 20 locations, right? And how many clients, how many employees, how many clients, what is, what is bread and butter now?
2: Yeah. I mean, so that's always, you know, one of the things that people always say to me is like, do you ever slow down? Do you ever like stop and like appreciate where you are? And like the answer is no. And it's also kind of overwhelming when I say this, but I mean, yeah, we started from, you know, my living room in Los Angeles and now we have, um, yeah, 20 plus teams across the country we have
1: ones here in park city right ones up What's in that? you have one location in park city that's correct? right yeah I'm, that's in, right. I'm in salt lake
2: you are okay yeah, so, so that's what exactly next so time i'm have, up in pc i'll check it out oh yeah well and i will um, i'd love to connect you with the team there but that's i mean we already have so you know our business model is really so we have three people in in utah and the business model really started with, um, we started with, the, it was me in LA and my business partner was in Austin. And we didn't want to start with LA and New York. And it just so happened that my business partner was someone who I'd worked with in LA and she happened to be living in Austin. She's from Texas. And what I really started seeing was, so having gone to school in the Bay Area, that was really near and dear to my heart as well. But I did not want to live in San Francisco. I had already lived up there for a long time. But I thought, yeah. you know, the food I've ever seen is so great. But you know, for anybody in California, LA and San Francisco might as well be different states. You know, they're different. It's a completely yeah. different vibe. It's completely different media markets. And we had a few clients up there because I would pursue them just, you know, out of a, you know personal interest. And um, media would just be like, "Oh, you're in LA. Like, I don't even want to talk to you. You know, yeah. you don't, and you don't understand." And so I started really seeing the value of having someone you know locally in the market but that you had a sort of bigger connection and then you know we we had those three markets and then we started working with clients in vegas and i started seeing you know hotels in las vegas they would have a local agency and then an agency in new york and so i was like that's ridiculous what if you had one agency that could do it all that you know had booths in vegas but they also had connections in new york and so and i think obviously that was While ago and definitely pre-COVID, but that was when people are, you know, so big on in-person, they were so big on you know, New York was the center of the world in terms of media. And so it was really vital that people had, you know, connections there. So then we, you know, set eyes on New York and how do we get you know people there? So the growth has been partially organic and partially very strategic because it's really looking at those kind of underserved markets. And you know, the the most sort of like interesting things somebody said to me once. I think it was, I don't know if it was a journalist or someone was talking about the, you know, tier B markets and those were the Denver's of the world, the Oklahoma cities or or what have you. And it was, I I found it so insulting because I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas, which would be like a tier D market. I mean, it's like nobody even thinks about it, but there's lots of people there that are well-traveled that love to eat, that are very cultured and they just, that's just where they live. And so I thought, you know what, I see something there because, um, and and then when you start to see, I think, like, after you started to see the shift in New York and L.A. got so, I mean, because I was in L.A. when it started becoming, like, you started having chefs moving from other places to come to L.A. to sort of, you know, build this food scene. And, you know, being in L.A., first of all, everyone's like, we've already had a food scene. And we don't, no thank you. But also, just the general exodus of chefs or talented people who are moving out of these really expensive cities to, you know, Minneapolis, to Denver, to... yeah. Oklahoma City because they saw their, you know, rents were cheaper. They had an audience that were there. And so, you know, I thought we have this opportunity for our company to be there for them and to help them because, you know, a lot of our clients, they get local, you know, local media. So in that range, we're just there to kind of take it off their plates. But they also want that national recognition. And we also started seeing media. They would say, we're interested in this trend, but we don't want anybody in New York and L.A. So when we would come to them with someone in Kansas City or someone in Denver or someone in, um, you know, Minneapolis, it was appealing to them because it was someone that they didn't know about. It was kind of off the beaten path. So for us, that's how we thrived, I think, is really looking at those sort of underserved markets that didn't have anybody yeah. doing. So
0: I've, So I've, at I've, the beginning, I've, did you travel a lot, Rachel? Sorry, Ty. That's good. Okay.
2: Um, I, I don't as much as, but you know, I was thinking about this the other day when I, when we first started, I mean, I was traveling constantly and I was thinking about this terrifying hotel that I stayed at in San Francisco and it was, you know, I was incredibly cost cost conscious, but I mean, it was like a full on, this hotel should be in date line. Someone was murdered here. Oh, I opened the curtain and was looking at a, just a wall. And I just remember calling my husband being like, if I don't make it, here's, here's why. You know, sort thing. I remember saying the tenderloin of like being pregnant and like a, the bed like went like this, you know, and I just rolled to the center of the bed and was like, just <laughs> wait, till, you can just wait till morning, you know. So I used to a lot. And then, um, you know, I got to a point where I had three young kids and I, I remember just, you know, pulling my bag through the airport in Seattle, being like 30 weeks pregnant and being like, I can't do this anymore, you know. So I did, um, you know, dial it back, but I still do love to travel and I love to spend time with our teens and I love to, you know, see our clients try things and, you know, but I mean it's obviously harder with 20 different markets and I have a great team. So our president's based in um, New York, city and, and she's in fabulous, but yeah, I mean, when I started, I, it was a constant hustle and grind and just traveling constantly.
1: That's awesome. Um, um, what? Okay. Quick question on your strategic growth. You talked a lot about organic when you mm-hmm. find a location or a city that you're not in yet that you think is underserved in the marketing world. Are mm-hmm. you, do you have a recruiting team that goes out and recruits local PR and marketers in that area and then they get hired on by bread and butter? Or are you physically moving people already on your team to that area or that city and setting up an office?
2: Well, it's n- neither. So what we do really, well, first of all, I think like there's so many underserved markets. So I think, it, it, I feel like a lot of our success has been based on the sort of like, mental vision board model like we don't have literal vision boards and i find that every time i really try to set goals like they don't nothing you know it's like best laid plans it doesn't really happen so the way that we've grown we have people who come to us who are great people just in a market that we're not in so a lot of that so for park city is a great example you know the president of our company was in las vegas for years and then her husband's a chef and he got an opportunity to work with a family in Utah and she said, I want to move to Utah. And I thought, you know what? Awesome. Like Salt Lake city is one of those markets that I've always loved. Park city is a market that I love. And I find if you're trying to seek out, it's like seeking out the, I feel very like a, you know, Yoda, but it's like, if you seek out something, you'll never find it. Like you have to kind of let it come to you. And that's yeah. just kind of how it's happened. But we've had people who work with us that, you know, like the, the head of our Miami office, her husband got transferred and she was like, I want to live in Miami, but I, I, I want to stay working for, for us, but we don't have an office. So I was like, well, great, we do now, you know, because I love you and I don't want to lose you. And so it's been that way. So our growth has happened mostly like that.
0: Got it. So then does she manage that office and then find, she finds like her social media girl or guy and then finds like her photographer and finds all the specialties within that office?
2: Well, right. So well, we do have a hiring team. So that has been, I feel like as we've grown, there have been sort of pain points that we're like, okay. And, and that's honestly how a lot of our roles um, evolve is we start to see, okay, you know, you're doing this and then you start to get big and it's like, wait, we could actually segment this off and this could be a, you know, it's own role. Yeah. And so we have a hiring Know, team that that interviews people and works and works with that, and, and I still maintain that it's like I'm like, oh, you know, you can kind of add that on, but I mean, she's she's busy full time, um, just looking to fill roles, and you know, and what happens again, kind of in that manifestation vibe, is like, you know, we just had someone awesome who who um, you know we reached out to who's in St. Pete in florida and all of a sudden it's like we have all this new business happening in florida so it's like okay now we need to kind of fill that out so that's always a challenge i think with us for hiring is that like chicken and egg scenario is like you don't want to hire when you don't have the business but then you don't want to bring on the business to support the hire so that's a real kind of a really delicate balance that we have like why we have to walk
0: so going forward what would be the vision for bread and butter if you could like Manifest the next five years. What would that look like?
2: You know, that's all. I don't know. I mean, that's always the hardest question. I can say, you know, the thing that it gets me excited. uh, Honestly, things that I don't know about or I don't know how to do. And so, I think the reason that we've grown and kind of broken off. So we have, you know, we not only do public relations, we do social media marketing, we do digital marketing, we do influencer marketing, and those things have all grown as a function of just like seeing what people need. And now you know, we've had a creative team for the past five years. And so we're starting to get into more of the, um, you know, creative aspects like your website design, brand identity, you know, logo. And that is really fun for me because I did study art and, you know, a, kind of a, a, a thriving, you know, flailing kind of artist, if you will. But I mean, I really love art and design. And so, um, you know, I, I think for me it's exciting right now working on that facet of the business and helping grow that because I, I just enjoy it on such a personal level. <clears throat> um, you know, we're about to launch a kind of lifestyle website um, arm of ours because we've just started seeing one of the things that really, again, kind of came to me was like, look, you know, we say this with clients, like we're we're poised to not only kind of like report on trends, but we can set trends because we have you know clients in twenty markets across the city. I could call a journalist tomorrow and say, hey, I've seen this happening at five different restaurants. And that's a trend that we just created, you know, so I thought, and we have our fingers on the pulse of what's going on. So why would we not position ourselves as a resource for people? And if you're, you know, I, I can't tell you, I mean, I'm, so I'm based in Charleston, South Carolina. I mean, I probably get an email or request weekly on where should we go? Where should we stay? What should we do? You know, that sort of stuff. And so I think the fact that we have people in these markets um, is, is something. So we've kind of, we started a, a trend report that we're doing just basically on LinkedIn. It's kind of like a business report right now, but like what's happening in the trend market. And then um, our sites, um, we also thought about, we do city guys. We just started doing that um week, a uh, monthly on our social media. So if you're going to like this month, we're focusing on F1 in Vegas. So if you're going to F1, like where should you stay? Where should you shop? What should you wear? That sort of stuff. And then the next um, step will be kind of a, you know, a merge line because we just, I feel like it's just kind of fun and, and again, it's like a challenge, you know, something that I haven't done. And it feels, it feels organic. You can see kind of a, I have a, a um, prototype in the back of a, a tote we're working on. So um, I think it's really just continuing to challenge myself and see, again, kind of areas of need and
0: how we can, you know, fill that void. It really seems like you just kind of do everything. It seems like you're just like, I do this and I do that. And I'm like, but also you're just so, like, also it's like you have the bread and butter of like you're within this like niche category but then it's like you're doing everything in that category which is amazing it also sounds like you're not afraid
1: to fail at all um i bet you if you took a personality test and i don't know if you had have before you'd score really low in the certainty category which means that you don't need to know the answer to things before you try them is that accurate
2: that you know what i have not taken a personality test but i that is absolutely right like one of the things one of our sort of core values is, is say yes, we'll figure it out because I always write. I'm like, the worst thing that can happen is we fail and we have failed, you know, I've failed multiple times, but it's really like, it's not that big a deal. You know, it's like you pick yourself up and you say, okay, that didn't work and then move on. And I think that's like a big lesson that I've had to learn is like, it's, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and like, it's going to be okay. I really have found after all this time, I always tell my team, I'm like, if I'm not crying, you don't need to be crying. Like, this is okay. You're (laughs) going to be okay. You know? And, um. And I really, you know, kind of live by that.
1: That's awesome. Let's, let's um, bridge that straight into successes and failures. Let's Mm -hmm. highlight, let's highlight a few successes that you're super proud of. Obviously you've built it from your living room to 20 plus Mm -hmm. cities and however many employees, but what are some successes that you're most proud of that you'd like to highlight?
2: You know, I, I'm really proud of, well, I'm really proud of where we are and who we are. I feel like we've (laughs) grown in a way that has been very above board. We, you know, we, we try to take the high road as much as possible. I know, you know, PR public relations, particularly, you know, have a reputation for being very catty and very, you know, cutthroat. And we have really thrived on being the nice guys. And that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily a nice guy, but it means that, you know, I always say, but like, don't mistake my kindness for weakness, you know, but we really want to, make sure that we're here to to, to deliver a service and, and to help people. And, you know, that's one of the things I always do. I do a monthly culture talk to our team, and that's one of my biggest points to drive home is that, you know, we're a hospitality-first agency, and that is a service industry, and we're here to make people's lives easier. And so, you know, you go to a restaurant, someone serves you, you come to work, you're serving other people. And so, for me, it's the fact that we've been able to grow, and, you know, we have a lot of we have a lot of long standing clients. We have a lot of complimentary clients, you know, and so that to me speaks volumes of what we're doing is the right thing and it's working. Um, you know, and I just think growing and building on our teams, you know, our social media team are people who've been with us for a long time and with me, you know, they're like family at this point. You know, the, the head of our Sam who, you know, connected us, the head of our yeah. digital team has been with us for, you know, since she got out of college. You know, oh, we were kind of like her first job and she is like, I mean, I'm like, daughter, sister, I don't want to make myself sound older than I am, but I mean, she, I have a really core team of people that are so special to me, yeah. our, you know, our president, and then, um, you know, a few other folks, but the whole team in general, you know, I think it's really just kind of trying to really focus on those relationships, and that's a real, um, I think, testament to that we're doing something right, we have a lot of people who've been here for, you know, eight plus years, which is eternity in PR, you know, so. Yeah,
0: it's really feel, a lot of those like strong relationships with a, a PR company. Right. What would be one failure that you could share that you're like, okay, you guys, like, this is something that I did. And maybe by hearing this, you can like avoid doing this.
2: Um, well, you know, I think learning, I think trying to grow too fast and I think forcing it, you know, one of the, you know, the best pieces of advice that somebody ever gave me was like, if something's been, I sound so new agey, but if something's meant to be, it will be. And if you're trying too hard and it feels too hard, then it's not going to work. I mean, I can tell you, we've had, you know, our New York team, we, we had a New York office. It failed. It didn't take off. And we closed it. And we kind of, you know, licked our wounds and tried to figure out whether we need to, you know, this is our market. Because, you know, even, ha- even, even after having had my start there, worked in New York, I knew what it was. You know, trying to build a team from Los Angeles and built, you know, it was hard and it didn't work. The first time we just did not have the right team or we didn't know who we were enough to communicate it, to build that out. You know, we've had a Miami team before. And so this is kind of our second iteration of that. And I thought, you know, never again, this is a really challenging market. I don't really understand it. I don't know that I like Miami that much. And then, so, but this time around, it feels totally different. And it feels fresh and fun and the team yeah. is great. And, and you know, that sort of stuff. But I mean, the biggest and I wouldn't call it a failure, but the biggest sort of like, you know, knock me on my ass moment was obviously COVID, you know, because yeah. the, the, the areas that got hit the most were food and beverage and travel. So, I mean, we went from overnight, I went from a company with 110 employees and probably 300 clients to a company with 20 employees and 10 clients, you know, and it was like, how am I going to get through this? And, and do I want to get through this? And what, what is, what is out the outcome look like? And so that was the most like grounding. And like, it, it, it felt like a failure that I couldn't control, you know? So for me, that was a real eye opener. Um, and, and like, how do I, yeah, how do we come out the other side? Right. Um,
1: really quick. So. We talk a lot about on the podcast, knowing your why and how important that is mm-hmm. for sustaining a business and growing a business, especially when times get tough and you're in the middle of the fight. What would be your why? Really fast before you we know, go to final that
2: thoughts. That was like, I had I, I thought about that a lot, you know, during during that and when I, it was all, everything was falling apart. And, you know, I remember talking to my husband being like, is this the time? But then I, you know, ultimately I love it. I love I love hospitality. I love restaurants. I love traveling. I love food. I love all the experiences. And I love also, you know, what I do. I love waking up in the morning and starting work. I look forward to it. I, I, you know, I, that, that adage again, like, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day. I feel like that. I always joke, this is the longest job I've ever had. I've had 75,000 jobs because I just didn't, nothing really connected. And so the why for me is This makes me happy, and I love it. And so I just wanted to keep forging on, and um, and I did. And I wanted to rebuild, but you know we rebuilt in a a different way. And basically, you know, when we rebuilt from COVID, the focus was like, I just I'm going to get back to the original plan. Was like, I just want to be happy, and I want to work with people that I like, and I want to have fun. And so as we rebuilt from COVID, which which I mean, I'm proud to say, you know, we're about three years later, we're. You know, back to where we were pre-COVID, which was the, you know, the best we were ever doing. And, you know, the fact to me that we rebuilt that in three years is phenomenal. And I feel like we've rebuilt it in a really kind of healthy, stable place. And so, um, you know, I think it's just that enduring passion for what it is that you do.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing coming like hearing about how you like where you started from and just continue to like follow your gut, follow your gut, follow your gut and it seems like these not I'm not going to say landed because you worked so hard for all these things to happen, but it, like it just came to be like you said after all these like following your heart, working hard and this is just the result for you. Right. Yeah. That's- Okay. I, have. this is one of my favorite parts. I have a would you rather question and okay. because you kind of touched on it as we were talking. Okay. So I'm curious to see how you answer it. Okay. okay. Uh, you're a marketing agency. Would you rather, uh, create trends on your own? Like you can never follow like a current market trend. You always have to be completely hundred percent original okay. or so good at identifying the market trends, but never be able to do anything original.
2: Oh, uh, hands down, I'd rather create the
0: trends. Oh, good for you. Yeah. (laughs) That's the hard route. So I'm not surprised that that's the answer you took, Rachel.
2: Yeah. Well, and there's something more painful that, I mean, I, I mean, again, I'm going to date myself, but we do um, every week our social team does a kind of trending Tuesday. So they kind of report on like social media trends. I mean, in half the time with TikTok, I'm like, I do not understand these. So that would be the only thing I would love to create the trends. I don't know that I could create the trends, especially seeing some of these things, which are so... Bizarre to me, and I don't understand why they're trending. But so that would probably be the challenge. I don't know about social media, but maybe like hospitality, food and beverage,
0: I could. Yeah, totally. How awesome. hard? Really,
1: really quick before we end things, because I'm not a TikTok guy. But how hard was mm-hmm. it for you personally to adopt TikTok or understand TikTok and its value that it plays in your business? Because I know you probably have a lot of people underneath you that understand the value, but you personally, mm-hmm. as the CEO, did, were you just like, yes, I get it right off the bat, or did it take a while?
2: No, no, I didn't get it. I still don't get it. Um, I have, but I think that's I, that's the benefit of being, you know, in the CEO level is it, well, you know, Steve Jobs, like, what is that? Like, hire people that are, you know, smarter than you, um, and that's kind of what I do. So I know, you know, you can identify when things are happening. I mean, and again, I rely on a really smart team of people who are watching those trends and seeing what's happening. You know, and, and I think for us, a little bit of the time, like, what was it? What was the um, Facebook thing that came out that, like, hey, it was the new Twitter that, I like, didn't quite actually work. So, you know, it's like you have to kind of watch for those trends, too, and see oh, what it is. Threads. Threads, right. So we were all ready. We, like, had our threads planned. We're, like, talking to clients about threads, and it's like, you know, like, it didn't actually do anything. Yes. So
0: yes. you have yes. to kind of also it make sure it. that you're... What's that? Seems like it had its week, and then it just... Well, I don't know if enough.
1: you've noticed, but they're starting to put the threads in your feed on Instagram. So you have to see them... Oh. I don't know if you've noticed that, at least on mine.
2: I did not. Mm, I'm not. I I didn't sign up for Thread. So I I don't think, but I guess you're right. I guess they can just kind of, whether I sign up for it or not. But yeah. So no, a lot of times that it's also like knowing what you don't know. I think that's a big part of it. And then making sure that you find someone who can kind of like at least navigate it or kind of, you know, work with you to explain it to you. So even though maybe I'm not the target demographic for TikTok, I do understand the importance of it. And we've, you know, the, under, the importance of navigating it and using it to our, you know, our and our client's benefit. Of
0: course. What I know that you work with a bunch, I'm kind of bouncing all over, but you're, you're working with a bunch of different hospitality um, in in the industry and companies. And what is your target demographic and what platform do you primarily use to reach their target audience?
2: You know, it every it's across the, it's across the board. I mean, it really depends on who the client is and, you know, I think for the most, yeah, it really depends. I mean, we've had, so we worked with, this was a fun campaign, we worked with HealthAid and they were launching this kombucha soda called Gooch Pop. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. And their target audience was totally Gen Z. So we did everything through TikTok and we, you know, did all the sampling, we did all of the videos and that sort of stuff. And that was the complete home run for them. However, that's not necessarily what, you know, maybe my mother would want to purchase. And so, or what, what I mean, I, like, I liked it, but I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't have found it on TikTok. But, you know, it's really just looking at kind of across the board. I mean, I would say that the most popular social media channel we work with is Instagram. I still, like, I think that that's the best for marketing purposes. But, you know, we still do Facebook because, you know, a lot of your obviously expendable income is in the kind of like 60 plus demographic. And those are the people that are on Facebook. And then, um, you know, I think it's really just dependent on what the client wants and who they want to target. I mean, I will say probably our primary audience tends to be millennials and Gen X. And then, you know, after that, it's kind of the you know 60, the people with a lot of you know money and time sort of thing. And so, um, Gen Z is a little bit different. It tends to be obviously a little bit trendier, a little bit lower price point, but obviously we usually kind of, you know, more fun. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah. Um, well, we have,
1: you- we have three minutes left. I'm going to juice everything out of her. I can cause she's a wealth of knowledge. Okay. Um, any final <laughs> snippets, any final pieces of advice for the listeners from someone who has built something from literally nothing?
2: Um, you know, I thought about this. i I kind of was uh, <clears throat> thinking, you know th- the main thing <clears throat> that I would like to you know always or just tell people, and this is what I tell my company to is to be thankful, you know for every and and, and to to take that minute when you're working with someone to say thank you and thank you for your time and thank you for spending your time on me, I think, is these days, everyone is, is so busy, or feels very busy, and we, it's easy to forget those sort of common courtesies, I mean, you know, and I, I hammer this into my children, too, but, you know, saying please and thank you, I feel like it's just kind of one of those basic, you know, life lessons that people forget about, you know, and, and when we have, you know, on that hiring note, when, when we people have people who apply to work with us, we will not hire them if they have not sent us a thank you, you know, after an interview, because I feel like it speaks volumes to someone's character and how they're going to behave with other people. And, you know, we have, we work with a lot of really sort of, um, you know, sensitive relationships or tender relationships that we have to build. And, and, and you have a lot of busy people and, and you would be surprised just how far little gestures like saying, please, and thank you go.
1: Practicing gratitude is super important. That's awesome. Right. Okay, well, outro. Um, before we go, where can people find your agency, um, Instagram, website, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera?
2: That's right. So our website is We Love Bread and Butter. Our our Instagram is We Bread and Butter, at We Heart Bread and um, We are going to be launching our lifestyle site, Late Checkout, which is coming soon. But you can find us on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, and we have a fun sort of trend report on LinkedIn and. I don't know what our TikTok is. But,
1: um. <laughs> That's on brand for you. That's good. That's right. <laughs> well, Rachel, thank but, um, you yeah, so much for them. coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure learning from you, hearing from your stories, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so
2: much. I really appreciate you having
1: me. You're welcome. Take care. See ya. Thank you. That is a wrap from the Cheap Seats. Check back in next week. Remember, share this with somebody that needs to hear it. And hey, we'll see you at the top.